Hi, this is your host, Dale Josie, and welcome to my podcast, Aging with Grace 55 Plus. This series for maturing adults is sponsored by Today's Transitions Magazine, Kentucky AARP, and DPLfinancial.com. Multiple entertaining segments attack rampant ageism and are designed to create an online community of maturing adults who are living well and continuing to engage in personal or community activities. This monthly series is committed to continuous improvement while profiling and building a community of 21st century seniors who truly are, well, (laughs) aging with grace, right? (laughs) Past episodes can be listened to on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts on smart devices by Apple, Android, or of course, desktop computers. Past episodes can also be found on my website at awg55.com. Again, many thanks to today's Transitions Magazine, Kentucky AARP, and dplfinancial.com for sponsoring this series for elders, including those who love, cherish, or provide services for them. By the way, if you have a story idea that would appeal to our age group, then please email me, Dale, that's me, T-A-L-E, at awg55.com, or drop a note in the mail, Addressed to Aging with Grace 55 Plus, P.O. Box 99112, Louisville, Kentucky 40269. This episode concludes my interview with now retired OBGYN specialist Dr. William T. That's Dr. Bill Baker, followed by Dr. Joanne Berryman who shares her insights from floor nurse to senior vice president of nationally recognized Jewish hospital. Later, she served as president and CEO of the equally well-known Fraser Rehabilitation Center. Following retirement from healthcare, Dr. Berryman was named provost of Spalding University. Episode four concludes with Lily Liu, who returns to share some delightful pearls of wisdom from Dr. Percy Ethel Andrus, founder of AARP. So, please lean in over the next few minutes, and you will not be disappointed with the second season of Aging with Grace 55+. Plus. We have the pleasure of speaking with uh, with Dr. William T. Baker, uh, someone who I affectionately call Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill is an obstetrician gynecologist um, who received his medical degree from Tufts University School of Medicine and recently retired after practicing medicine for more than 20 plus years. Bill, well, actually, uh, actually, Dale, it was 40. 40 years? <laughs> yeah. Whoa! I did not yeah. so. 40 years. Wow. That, that, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you leave a, a small electronic footprint. You know, the, I just research <laughs> on you and it said 20 years. So that, yeah. that information was 20 years old. <laughs> it, it, in fact, it, it's 
fact, I'm interrupting your 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 thing, but uh, <laughs> 40 years was was something. You know, I, I made a comment about timing. I thought, you know, 40 years has a pretty nice round number, mm-hmm. and so I actually retired on essentially the f- anniversary of practicing 40 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, as we go to our close, after 40 years of medicine, you you mentioned um, timing and how to do it gracefully. And um, last question for you, in terms of that timing and doing it gracefully, you're pleased with the outcome? Your patients were pleased with the outcome? Yes. Uh, I, it's always interesting. Some of them offer comments like good riddance and, and others <laughs> are... Uh, offering comments like "I sure will miss you," and uh, uh, those are, you know, it, it it was all it was all fun, and of course, and, but yeah, yeah, that's good. And and you know, you're talking generations now because if you're talking forty years, your patients would be would be now have children and grandchildren, and and so you probably were treating a generations of uh, the same women in the same family. As a matter of fact, the last time I saw you, Dale, I was with uh, a guy who I had delivered, uh, I think, 35 years ago. <laughs> and uh, He was there with his kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looking at, looking, well, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, Dr. Bill, as we conclude, I want to I want to have you back because uh, I imagine in uh, at the onset I said twenty years, but now forty years. I have to have you back because uh, you have more wisdom to be able to comment. Um, teasing, of course, but um, you have a lot of wisdom and insights that I think a lot of our our listeners may be interested in. For example, uh, menopausal issues, uh, cancer awareness, and some other areas that you've kind of seen in your practice. Is that about right? Some areas that you're kind of concerned that about. For an aging population. Yes, indeed. And uh, that's been one way the transition has been easy is I've had neighbors and friends and ex-patients contact me periodically for, you know, medical advice. Now, it's it's different. You know, it's more discussions about what's going on in the world rather than direct patient care. But but that's been that's been fun. But I'd love to come back, Dale. This would be a lot of fun. You know how you hear those stories in the past about going behind headlines? That's always fun, right? People kind of lean in. I want to hear behind the headlines. And so Lucy Pritchett has want, has written an incredible uh, interview uh, with uh, Joanne Berryman in, in the uh, upcoming edition of uh, Today's Transitions. And so I thought we'd kind of go sort of behind the headlines. We're going to go behind the story as following the story that Lucy Pritchett, again, has kind of compiled and and written. So Joanne Berryman is our guest and um, just an incredible woman. Uh, She retired after serving as provost of Spalding University. She's been dean of of Coursera Charities College of Health and Natural Sciences at Spalding. And before that, she was senior vice president of Jewish Hospital and St. Mary Healthcare and CEO of Fraser Rehab, all here located in Louisville, Kentucky. It's been an incredible transition through multiple 
parts of her career. And so without further ado, without further delay, I love that word, Joe. Meet Joanne Berryman. Joanne, are you there? I am. It is a delight to be here with you. Well, thank you so much. Welcome to this segment. And I always wanted to use that word, right? Without further ado. You know, this sounds so 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 old English, right? <laughs> but just it sounds like a sounds like a good word to put in at that point. Um, so Joanne, you have had an amazing background. Um, you were also named as a healthcare lifetime hero in 2019, which is very impressive. Those awards are not just given out randomly. So I thought what I would start with in, in your trajectory towards your being a lifetime hero, towards being a well-respected, well-regarded member of our community, um, what would you consider your number one strength? And why did you say, I'm a relator? What does that mean? Well, I'm a, a coach for Gallup, strengths-based leadership, and I've been able to study the theory behind the strengths that Gallup brings forth and the assessment that it's done. And my number one strength uh, with the Gallup strength finders is relater. And what does that mean? Well, it means that I love to create deep relationships. When I'm at a party, you typically won't see me looking beyond you when I'm talking to you because I want to know more about you. And in doing that, I have been lifted up by so many amazing people. Lifetime leadership as a healthcare leader mm -hmm. is not an individual sport. Mm. Without Joe Coots, Harold Kleinert, some of these amazing leaders we've had in Louisville, great technicians, great surgeons. I could go on and on and on. I would have never been able to do some of the, the things that I, I did through them. Mm -hmm. So I believe Relator is pretty spot on for me. So I give Gallup a big wahoo. <laughs> and that's what that means. Building relationships to me, connections are what makes this community strong. Mm -hmm. And so it's amazing when you talk about healthcare and the things that make our community strong. You have quite a career in healthcare. Um, actually, you are a nurse. Is that correct? That's true. Back in the beginning, you were a nurse once upon a time. Um, and then you went from nurse to senior vice president. And this is through several, I'm, I'm, I'm melding some things together, but you went from nurse to a senior vice president of Jewish hospital and uh, various iterations of its parent organization since 1994. And then from there, you alluded to Fraser Rehab. So during that period, from a nurse to the boardroom, how did that equip you for what you encounter in terms of ex exemplary patient care and community engagement? Well, nursing gave me a strong base uh, of understanding uh, how to take care of the issues around healthcare, good ones and bad ones, from bringing in those babies all the way to being there holding the hands of individuals who are moving on uh, to their next life, if that's your belief. Uh, I know that sounds melancholy, but when I walked into the CEO position and into the C-suite at Jewish Hospital, I was 
the first and only clinical person brought in. Today, as you look across the horizon of the community, you see many nurses leading big organizations. You see a lot of physicians leading big organizations. And um, and I do believe that brings another element of what healthcare, the business of healthcare is all about. Mm-hmm. So I had that differentiator, if you will. Mm-hmm. I did not have the business differentiator, but again, I had wonderful mentors. Hank Wagner was an amazing mentor for this community. Mm-hmm. And um, he he took me under his wing and taught me a lot about the business of healthcare. So when I think of our C-suite at Jewish Hospital way back when, we had a lot together because we had all kinds of talents in that room. Mm-hmm. And uh, that allowed us to move the organization, I believe, in a wonderful direction to where it is today and probably where it belonged mm-hmm. with the University of Louisville. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to uh, come back to that in a minute because I also like to uh, fill in folks on some other interesting things about you, right? Uh, you lived in Dallas for a couple of years and um, you actually attended the CMA Awards at Opryland. So do I detect a love for country music and uh, also uh, Reba, Reba McIntyre yeah. in particular? Amen. I love it. And again, uh, I learned my two-step in Dallas. I was able to line dance in Dallas. In the 80s in Dallas was a fun, fun place. Okay. I was attending graduate school at the University of Texas at Arlington, which was a little cow town. And now Dallas Cowboys are in pretty much on campus. So the world has really changed. <laughs> uh, but um, yes, and then Oh, my goodness. Being at Fraser Rehab and having the ability to pick the phone up and call Ashley Brown Fraser and say, hey, can you get me a ticket? He told wow. me that was the hardest darn ticket he has ever had to get. <laughs> now, it only took him 15 minutes. <laughs> but he got, but he made it, it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you identify with Reba McIntyre? I mean, she's coming from uh, Oklahoma. She's had uh, a very uh, poor uh, or challenging background. Is that why she resonates with you? Well, I I even dyed my hair red at one point. Oh, I mean, wow. I, was, I am a true Reba wannabe. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I've not been trained and I don't have the talent that she has to get up on stage. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, she she really struck, strikes me as uh, an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think there may be another way to say that because Reba, as you know, had a hard scrabble, hard scrabble background in Oklahoma. And for you, it seems like um, you're, you're, you didn't have a hard scrabble background, but your mom was to stay at home and had a small in home business. So you said that you learned some things from them. That it was important to be doing something that was useful. But what else did you learn from that environment that shaped you into the woman you eventually became? Yeah, growing up in the 50s was a um, very different, obviously, and obvious environment for, um, for women. And thank you for saying my mom had a stay-at-home business. She actually was an employee uh, for 
a shoestring company and she would put them in the wrappers just, you know, so that they could then be shipped out and sold wow. uh, by hand. And, uh, but I do kind of look back now and say, wow, she kind of taught me what remote work was way before anybody thought that we'd ever be working <laughs> the way we have the last couple of years. So that's the truth. So we struggled. Um, we, um, but I, I, I learned from that, that you work for what you want in your dreams. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to go to a Catholic high school. I babysat to go there. There was no way that I could just ask my parents to do it. It just wasn't there. Let's go back because you said that you were the first woman to, to, to uh, enter the C-suite. That was not easy. You're, talk, you're talking about the 50s. You're talking about uh, early, um, even in terms of our uh, evolution as a culture. For you to eventually walk into that boardroom as the only woman, given the times, how were you received and what lessons did you learn from that or that you can share with other women seeking to do the same? Right. Um, well, it it wasn't that, that that people always paid attention to me. I had to find my own little niche. Uh, not that you need personal attention, but you want to be heard, right? Yes. And at the beginning, you you walk in and you sit around and it's quite intimidating. I was very intimidated. So again, reaching out to my connections, it was kind of cool to be able to walk out of that room and be able to work with the physicians. I don't want to necessarily bang on my chest here, but I could walk out and have a conversation with the surgeons and we could get things done. Mm -hmm. Now, I was also able to influence those surgeons to maybe take a right-hand turn or a left-hand turn when we needed to do that in order to create the business model. Mm -hmm. That took time. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't happen immediately. It was, I, when I walked in, it was very intimidating and I kind of just sat back and waited and, and listened for cues. And when I started to tumble, I had Hank Wagner sort of repeat what I just said. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. it needed that repetition and validation. And validation, right? And validation. Because if he's echoing you, then that means, hey, wait a minute, she's someone to be reckoning with, let's listen. You got it. You have it. Before we continue our interview, which I trust you're enjoying with, as much as I am with Joanne Berryman, I thought we would talk a little bit about another trendsetter, someone who also broke glass ceilings, although definitely they were not called that in her time, because who we're talking about here is Dr. Ethel Percy Andrus. She was born in 1884, died in 1967, but prior to that time, she was an elder rights advocate and also the founder of AARP. And what's interesting about this is this, mag this little magazine that she started at her kitchen table and published from her home has become one of the most influential and largest nonprofit, nonpartisan organizations in the world. 38 million strong members over 60,000 volunteers in all 50 states. And her magazine always included pearls of wisdom. And I'm going to tie that in in just a second. 
Because as you're listening to my interview with Joanne Berryman, one of the things that comes close is that Joanne is a disruptor. She's an advocate. She's been an innovator. And along those lines, I thought it would be good to also meet someone or talk about someone, introduce you to someone who in her time was a disruptor, an advocate, an innovator. And that's where my next guest comes in. You're about to hear from Lily Liu. She is an AARP historian emerita. Lily has been the family caregiver for her mother for the past decade. She has been speaking around the country about her journey as a one and a half generation immigrant family caregiver. And Lily Liu has become a fierce advocate on addressing issues related to caregiving. And not only, and I'm so welcome, I'm so pleased and honored to welcome Lily Liu back to Aging with Grace. Lily, how are you today? Hello, Dale. Happy to be back with you. What a treat. Well, we really appreciate that, especially you taking time uh, from Washington, D.C. How is the weather up there today, or dare I ask? (laughs) We're waiting for the cherry blossoms. That's all I'll say. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, when we talk about Joanne Berryman, Dr. Berryman, I should say, uh, you have some interesting insights on Dr. Percy Andrus and her pearls of wisdom, which relate to our show today. Share a little bit about uh, Dr. Andrus and we'll end with some pearls. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity, because I think the topic you have today is brilliant. All of us are going through change. All of us are going through life transitions. And what I've learned from the life story of the founder of AARP, Dr. Ethel Percy Andrus, we say doctor because she got a PhD in education, is to be always disrupting. Can you imagine all the accomplishments that we're talking about focusing on today happened to her in her life? She made it all happen after retirement. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. If you think about her actual career, she had become an educator. As you know, back then in the early 1900s, women really probably only had two choices, nursing and teaching. Mm -hmm. So she became an educator. She worked her way up from being a teacher and became the principal of a school. And she was actually the first female, first woman principal given the control given the uh, ability to lead a high school, an urban high school in the state of California. Mm. So that's 1917. So you can see that she broke some glass ceilings, as we as we would say now. Indeed, she did. And, and the thing is, I really want to press home on this point, uh, Lily. You said she earned her doctorate in education. She did that in 1930, which was certainly unheard of for women in that time period. Absolutely. She got two advanced degrees, a master's and a PhD. And would you believe that her PhD thesis was about the education of young girls? Oh, wow. Certainly relevant to our uh, guest today, who was a former provost of Spalding. Well, what I learned from Dr. Andrus's um, experience and example is that because in her family, she only had an older sister, so they were two daughters, is that when you are caregiving, you can also still find meaning for yourself. And so I would like to urge all the caregivers, you know, find as many resources, be as empowered as you can. But the most important thing is self-care, taking care of your own mental, physical, and other types of health. 
glad you mentioned the self-care piece. And I know we're kind of getting off topic with Dr. Andrus, but this is important, Billy, because that's kind of the, the theme of my show as well. And when you talk about taking care of yourself as caregivers, a lot of people think that's selfish, that you take care of yourself first. But I use the analogy when a plane is, uh, we lose altitude and a plane is uh, losing oxygen, rather, the first thing you do is put the mask over your mouth and face and breathe normally. Then you're able to help others. Same analogy to the family of caregiving, help yourself, and then you're better positioned to help others. Absolutely. And I always use the metaphor, you're like, as a family caregiver, the main pole in a tent. If that pole doesn't go upright, the whole tent falls down. Camping <laughs> knows that. And that is actually back to what Dr. Andrus did as a woman. She created opportunities for volunteer service. As a matter of fact, to today, AARP's motto, which she created, is to serve, not to be served. Cyclical mm. and resonance. And the most important thing is for anyone who's a leader, like your guest has been um, saying and disrupting and breaking ceilings, the point is you're always reaching behind to pull up others, right? Right. And so Dr. Andrus, what I thought was so interesting was there was not a segregation in her mind between the generations. She cared for those coming behind the younger people. And I think that comes from the fact that as any educator, your guest and Dr. Andrus, they care about the future. Well, as we were talking about, you know, looking uh, as at disruptors, anybody who's breaking a glass ceiling or doing something innovative, I think what we know about the hallmark of those folks is they always reach behind and pull up others, right? Yes. Yeah. And so when you think about Dr. Andrews being an advocate for older persons, she wasn't just an advocate for older persons. It was also for their families and the younger generations, because as an educator, she knew that the future is in the hands of the young. May I actually quote one of her passages from the editor's column that she once wrote as the editor of the AARP magazine back then? I would love for you to share some pearls of wisdom, Lily, from back then. So please do, madam. Well, she wrote a column as the editor of the ARP magazine back then. And so we have a collection, you know, every two months of her pearls of wisdom. And I chose this one for our conversation today because I think the point of being a disruptor is you're thinking about those who will come after you. And so I quote what Dr. Andrus wrote. The one constant we older ones have experienced has been changed. To it, we are geared. We who live in the present are still looking hopefully toward the changes of the future. In truth, we still consider that that the future is our business. End quote. That is so good. The future is our business. Again, that ties right in to looking to that next generation, reaching behind you and looking towards the future. That's so good, Lily. Well, your distinguished guest really said it all is that, you know, as educators, you care and the hands of the future is in the hands of the younger generation. And I think that's the lesson I've taken from Dr. Andrus, that not only is she um, also now part of the um, National Women's History Museum, which currently is a virtual museum, and as I said, that she's been inducted in 1993 into the National Women's Hall of Fame. The lesson is that even in retirement, you know, post an actual career, 
you can still make a difference. You just heard from Lily Liu, historian emerita for AARP. Lily resides in Washington, D.C., and as you heard, is quite eager for the return of the cherry blossoms, which draw visitors from all over the world to the nation's capital city. And now, the conclusion of my interview with Dr. Joanne Berryman. I read in a, a previous uh, interview that you had a while back, you said that um, healthcare is a complex system and students deserve to be exposed in the classroom and experimentally to the most current evidence, clinical, financial, and strategic. And you also say that you're focused on technological advancements that will allow you to enjoy a relevant relationship with healthcare and wellness providers. Can you impact some of that from the student side and also from the technological uh, advancements that you're promoting or engaged in? The cool thing about Spalding University is its size. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a family. The faculty are amazing. The staff right there. I cannot remember in the decade I was at Spalding, I still work with Spalding University, that anyone looked at me like, have you lost it? And believe me, everyone knew when I walked into Spalding University that, and it, it became a joke, really, she's not an academic. And clearly I wasn't. So I owned that one. And I thought, I'll get that doctorate. And then I'll be an academic. Well, not so much. But when the when Tory came, President Tory became president, she interviewed all of us. And one of the things that I said to Tory, and she said, go for it, was I feel like I was very blessed that I went through a hospital-based school of nursing back in the 60s, where I was living in my laboratory, right? Mm-hmm. Our dorm was at the hospital. And I said, what we need to do here is build what I call the Fraser Rehab Academic Center South. <laughs> uh, if you look just down Broadway, you see occupational therapists, speech therapists, uh, and I can go on and on, nurses, doctors, et cetera, working together in a huge team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now in this complex environment, it's published the importance of interdisciplinary teams mm. uh, in order to give our patients what they deserve and our families what they deserve. So we started building experiential programs on the Spalding campus, albeit small and probably maybe not very well branded, <laughs> but they were focused on students and student learning so that when they would go out into the community and the vision is still evolving, hmm. they will have some experience. One of the questions we posed to you about things you've learned about yourself during this not so quite retirement time, because while you've retired, you're still quite busy, madam. And but yet this whole COVID thing is kind of you alert Lou to in the interview of in the magazine 
that you still need face-to-face connections with people. So you struggle with online meetings. Is that still problematic for you, especially as a relator? That's got to be still troubling. Agreed? Uh, That is, uh, but Zoom has saved me. (laughs) (laughs) Go to meeting has saved me. Let's just go down the list. Because if I can see someone, I am better able to understand where they're coming from, the Mm. body language. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Zoom has been helpful. Um, I do have a little bit of a reputation when I'm teaching online. I always have an option, strong option, unless you want to write a paper, you join a face-to-face meeting on Zoom. Right, right. My classes typically have a way to bring the class together. And in my mind, on a screen is better than not, you know, not ever being able to see each other. But in my mind, the screen works. And to watch individuals light up and start talking to each other, not typing to each other, I think it's a nice break. Uh, We call it synchronous Mm -hmm. education. Synchronous. Mm -hmm. So I do a little synchronous with my asynchronous. And, and with doing that, I'm hoping the students love it, uh, but I know it makes a difference for me. So that's a little <laughs> selfish thing I do. But uh, it, is, it has been a lifesaver to have Zoom. And also it has saved my, if you will, retirement uh, goals mm-hmm. in that it didn't allow me to retire. I probably would have really retired. <laughs> <laughs> retired, retired. Not just retired, but retired, retired. Retired, retired. <laughs> <laughs> or as we like to say, repurposed. I think repurposed. I How about that? Reinvent. Reinvent. We'll go with reinvent. <laughs> I like that. I agree with Dr. Kirk Jefferson who said you're a gem of a leader and a human being. And for our listeners, I hope that they too have come away understanding and validating that you are indeed a gem and a uh, true human being. Folks, this has been Dale Josie, my conversation, our interview. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have with not just Joanne Berryman, but Dr. Joanne Berryman. Berryman. She retired in 2019 as serving as provost of Spalding University. She was also dean of Coastal Charities College of Health and Natural Sciences at Spalding. And before that, she was Senior Vice President of Jewish Hospital and St. Mary's Healthcare and CEO of Fraser Rehab Institute. Joanne, it's been delightful. I appreciate your time and I hope you've enjoyed this interview as much as I have. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Aging with Grace 55+. Plus made possible by Today's Transitions Magazine, Kentucky AARP, and DPL Financial Partners, which is the leading turnkey platform for commission-free annuity and insurance solutions. DPL Financial is committed to strengthening financial plans with powerful products that deliver value for advisors and clients alike. More information, visit dplfp.com. Remember, aging is a lifelong process, and if you choose to see new possibilities, I promise you'll find them. Life is a gift, so 
Join me in wishing everyone we meet to be present in it. Get it? Be present. Life is a gift. (laughs) Yeah, I think you got it. (laughs) Aging is not a time of diminishment or being relegated to the sidelines of life, but it's a time of application for lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. Hey, love to hear from you. So please visit my website, awg55.com. And now, last thought of the day from James Clear, author of the book, Atomic Habits. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been your host, Dale Josie of Aging with Grace 55 plus.